Oh, thank you, worship team. That was amazing. Um, so um, we have the, the fish parents and grandparents here tonight, which is awesome. Welcome, guys. Uh, I've met Abby. I've met Maddie. Anyone else here for the first time? Any newcomers? Welcome. <laughs> it's always so wonderful when some of my students are in the room for the first time. It's awesome. Um, thanks, Joe. So, um, we're going to carry on with our, with our series in Acts. Um, I'm, I'm going I'm to be focusing on Acts 12 and 14. No offense to Acts 13, but it doesn't kind of fit the theme. Okay, so we'll, we'll come back to that at, at another time. Uh, but for the next two weeks, um, we're going to be looking at the, at the church as, as a gospel that disrupts the world. Okay, I know this is like cultural lingo at the moment, a disruptor. Amazon's a disruptor, you know. Um, but what we, what we see in Acts 12 and 14 is a gospel that disrupts society, disrupts culture, it disrupts theology. Um, and so, um, you know, I know a lot of you have been here for, for most of this series, but for those newcomers, in case, um, you know, Zach's forgotten, um, we, we really want to be thinking as we read Acts that God wrote this book for us to show us what he wanted his church to be like. Okay, these aren't just stories. They would say, oh, cool. Lord, you're amazing. Okay, they're not just stories that we look at and we praise God for, but that we, 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 we realize are normative for us. Okay, these are, these are supposed to give us directions for how God wants to operate. Um, and so you might not like anything that I say tonight. You know, obviously I'm sure you like at least one thing, but if nothing else, let Scripture speak to you. Okay, read what the Lord did. And think about what might this look like for me today. Um, there's some scripture which I'm going to read and only say like one thing about, but it's just too cool not to read. Okay, we just have to read it and, and see the Lord work. Um, and, um, and I'll stop, you know, there's some, some themes that the Lord wants to bring out. Um, but let's see what the Lord does. So as a, as a reminder, we've just... Uh, in the book of Acts, we've seen Gentiles filled with the Holy Spirit. We've seen the apostles' theology absolutely rocked because these good Jewish men and women now need to let Gentiles into the church. Okay. Um, this is a huge thing for them. We also see in Acts 12 that the, churches, the persecution of the church by Saul and others has meant that the church has scattered. So now not just uh, has one group of Gentiles been preached to, but now all sorts of Gentiles have been preached to. And this problem is only getting bigger. And then in chapter 12, we see that Herod joins in. So now the church is opposed not just by Rome or by religious authorities, but now by the Jewish king as well, by the political authorities. So they're suffering quite a lot. Okay. So let's read. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit. This one is too cool to jump around too much, but I'm going to start in Acts 12, verse 5 uh, to 11. Now, as I read the story, I, I don't have time to share lots of stories tonight, but you know, I know of several stories. One of them was a Taylor student a few, few years ago who basically lived something almost exactly like this. And it's astounding. You know, God still does this. So Peter was therefore kept in prison. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. 
And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. That's funny. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own account. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, I love that, it's like, what on earth is happening? When Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Now jump down to verse 16. We have this amusing thing where he knocks on the door and isn't let in. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Go, tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. This is so cool. This is like a spy thriller. You know, he comes back, go tell James. You know, and then he's out of there somewhere else. You know, go and spread the gospel. Um, but God is so imminent. Sending an angel to save and if we read on later, and I, I do say this, you know, please read in the parts I'm, I'm leaving out. The poor soldiers get executed because of this. That didn't go so well for them. Um, you know, read, read in around. Um, and I'm going to read next from Acts um, 12, 21. Um, and I just wanted to say, you know, this week, and I'm going to come back to this topic a little bit, but uh, Paul Maria is in my, one of my classes, and Carolyn, <laughs> um, Man, it was so depressing this week. Um, I, I found myself weeping um, several times, looking, um, doing research on some really awful things in the world, and just, just angry, sad, not knowing if I was crying out of anger or crying out of God's compassion, just struggling. And then I read these verses, and this picture of God's sovereignty came back. So 21 says this, So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. And it reminds us of when God strikes Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament. Nebuchadnezzar did recognize the glory of God and was saved. We've, we read last week, or two weeks ago, about Saul persecuting Christians. God turns him and makes him to a man that will make Christians. Herod tries to crush the church and God crushes him. And it might be that we won't always see justice when we want it. But the gospel will not be stopped by man. Yeah, it will never be stopped by man. 
And the power of God will never be stopped by man. And our gospel, sorry, I know I keep fiddling with this thing. Our gospel should be a disruptor of the world around us. And that includes Taylor and I. (laughs) That includes good Christian places as much as heathen places. I want to paraphrase Ephesians 2 just to save time. We are saved by grace. We no longer follow the systems of the world or the prince that works in the sons of disobedience for we are saved for good works. And these good works have to stand against evil and sin and brokenness. And we we follow a Lord that obviously met so much opposition. And I'm afraid we have to expect it. If we do this gospel thing properly, we should face opposition. Because we will always, eventually, come into opposition with the prince that works in the sons of disobedience, with the systems of the world that he establishes. And this is what we see as we go through Acts 13, profoundly. So the first thing we see in Acts 13, and just just to highlight this, before Barnabas and Paul are sent out, there is prayer and there is fasting. And they are only sent out when the Holy Spirit says, okay, send them. It's time. Okay, remember the very beginning of the series when we looked at Acts 1, Jesus doesn't give them a blueprint. There's no business plan. He just says, wait. And the Holy Spirit will direct. Okay? So they wait, and the Holy Spirit says, go. And we'll pick it up at 13, verse 6. One of my favorite stories in Scripture. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, Paphos, probably, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceits and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, been astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Just like in the stories of Peter when he's preaching, what we see is the gospel spoken, the power of God displayed, people believe. Okay, too often in our churches, we rely on the one, but we have no expectation for the second, for the power of God to actually be manifest, to change people. And we have to capture this. You know, and there's, um, <laughs> there's this phrase, let's see here in, in verse nine, Paul filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, like, please, I, I don't recommend you walk around finding people that you disagree with and calling them sons of devils and, you know, the sons of unrighteousness. It's not a good gospel-spreading technique, okay? But there are times 
There are times, um, this, this phrase, I've felt it a few times, I've, I've seen it a few times. I think for me personally, um, you know, I, mm, my favorite probably is when my son Joe was a toddler and he was sick. Um, and I wouldn't say I had a gift of healing at all, but I went to him, he was in bed, he was sick all the time, all the time. And I looked at my son and I felt this anger rise up in me and I just rebuked sickness. And I just knew when I prayed that, that he would get better because I could feel the Lord was angry with the sickness. And that's what I was praying. And the fever broke like that. And his pattern of sickness ended that day. I saw it in my father when we had a, we had a guy in our church who had a full-on demonic possession, demon episode, frightening thing that happened. I'll share that story another day, okay? But I saw it when my father walked up to this man and touched him with his fingers and said, get out. And the guy went flying across the room and sat up in his right mind. And I asked my dad, how, like, how did you know what to pray? He said, I, the Lord just told me as soon as I entered the room and saw this guy, the spirit told me, touch him. Filled with the Holy Spirit. There are these moments where the Lord will make it easy on you. You know you're just praying <laughs> what he's already saying. And those are amazing moments. That's what we see Paul do. So Paul and Barnabas, they continue their travels. They end up in Antioch. I'm not going to read the first part of, of um, or the next section of, of Acts 12. Paul, Paul gives this amazing speech to the Jews. Okay. But the important thing I think here is that the Jews ignore him, but the Gentiles are so impressed by what he's saying to the Jews that they say, will you please come and preach to us? Like we hear there's something in what you're saying that is good news. And so he goes then in verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. How cool is that? Almost the whole city but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. It's amazing how envy can drive people away from God. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent woman and the chief men of the city raised a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? <laughs> that their response, the gift of the Lord to them as they suffer persecution, as they are driven out for only preaching the word of the Lord, they see people believe, they see people saved. But as they are persecuted, as they are driven out, they don't feel anxious, they don't feel fear. They experience joy. And that is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise in the Beatitudes when he said rejoice when you're persecuted. Like the Holy Spirit will meet you when you're persecuted. 
So the Jews persecuted them in the city, but we know that the gospel leads to life for the Gentiles. So they get to Iconium in Acts 14. We can jump ahead here. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so so spoke that a great multitude both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. I love this verse from two to three. They have this opposition, therefore they stayed. Isn't that glorious? Fine, oppose us. We're just going to stay. And then what happens is that the Lord seems to show off even more. All right, you want to persecute my people? Let me show you. Let me show you the power of my kingdom. Signs and wonders were done by their hands. I love that the persecution drove them on. But even amazing miracles won't change some people's hearts. You know, it's fascinating um, that you know, when you look at Jesus, that the only time he gets angry in Scripture, we think of the turning of the tables where we presume he was angry. <laughs> the only other time we know that Jesus was explicitly angry because Scripture tells us is when he wants to heal a man and the religious leaders disapprove of it. And it says he looks at them and was angry at this religion, this religious spirit that would rather see people suffer than see a miracle and see freedom. It was true then, it's still true today. Let's pick it up at verse eight in these glorious verses. So they're in Lystra now. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leapt and walked. That's crazy good. You know? And I'm sure the Holy Spirit pointed this guy out because he looks and he sees faith. But the faith to speak that prayer, this is such an amazing miracle. Sign and a wonder. But can you imagine never having walked before? Like the Lord just didn't fix his feet or whatever was wrong, but he must have restored everything in all of his muscles and given him coordination because he leapt and walked and probably ran around a good bit too. Like every, that restoration is complete in his body without even asking. Paul saw his heart. The Spirit saw his heart. And remember, and this is so obvious, but sometimes we forget the same spirit that is in Paul is in us. There's nothing in Scripture about a junior Holy Spirit or like a part Holy Spirit. 
or an apostle's only Holy Spirit. So what we see then is, you know, Paul and Barnabas get really upset because these Gentiles start to worship them and they tell them to put away these useless things. I love that. It's kind of intolerance of things that are not of God. Just put them away. Turn to the living God. But this gospel has caused so much disruption that the Jews from Iconium and the Jews from Antioch have been following them. And now they turn up. They are so opposed. You know, it's no wonder when we have a church where we see God move and we see signs and wonders and God do amazing things that social media lights up with all sorts of nonsense and criticism and hatred. People will travel around (laughs) opposing the ways of God. So from verse 19, then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Again, this is crazy. Like who, when they get stoned, go back into a place with the people who hate them? I mean, maybe if if you've survived it, you're pretty confident that it's not gonna happen again. I don't know. But it's bold, isn't it? The courage of this man and the courage of Barnabas and the disciples facing death. And then if we read on further, what we see is that they then go back to all of these cities. So they get stoned, they go back into the place where they've been stoned, and then they go back to the cities where the people who made them get stoned all live to preach the gospel again. There is such courage in these men. There's such fierceness. And I don't doubt there were courageous women as well amongst these disciples where they preached. And I wonder how we respond to that. It's kind of outside of our realm of experience. No one's trying to stone us, fortunately. But if you look around, there are people around us who hate the church. And what I, what I see in, in, in Paul and Barnabas is like this, this fierceness. It's, it's not striving. You know, they don't have a business plan. They don't have a blueprint. They don't have all the cities that we have to go to. They are operating in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And they're responding to one that they love. Like they're driven by the Lordship of Christ. And what else can they do but respond to the Lordship of Christ? That everything pales into comparison with honoring Him and being obedient to Him. And we, we're not reading on further, but as you read verse 22, where Paul says, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. You know, that's, that's not the scripture that we use most often when we're evangelizing. Become a Christian. Through many tribulations, you will inherit the kingdom of God. 
You know, it's not, it doesn't feel like a crowd winner, does it? And yet Paul writes it like this is the reality of the church. Three many tribulations. This is how we're going to do it. Because we are opposing the systems of the world. Because we are opposing religious leaders. We are opposing political leaders. We are opposing the system, the prince of the air who has created everything that is evil. Since humanity began, we are opposing him. With the Holy Spirit. And maybe that's scary and maybe that makes us want to run away. Maybe. But what we see in Acts are men who love God so much, who have had such powerful encounters and are so surrendered to Him. There's no indication that there was an alternate idea here. Okay? And later on in Acts, we're going to read, you know, right towards the end when Paul goes to Rome. He does it willingly knowing he's going to suffer. And he's told, don't go, don't go, don't go. But he's like, this is what the Lord has for me. What else would I do? <laughs> so we, 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 we see in this opposition that the fulfillment of Jesus' words. Jesus had this warning, again, not, not someone we use very often in evangelism, but he said, I'm sending out a sheep amongst wolves. But like, these are no ordinary sheep. These are gospel-wielding sheep. These are spirit-filled sheep. These sheep don't pick up swords, but these sheep speak. They speak the will of God. They speak the ways of God. They are expectant that God will show up. And there's one thing I want us to search our hearts for tonight. So are we expectant? that God will show up. We shouldn't fear persecution. It's it's an easy thing to say here, (laughs) where it doesn't happen very often. But we shouldn't fear persecution. What we should fear, what what should really trouble us is if we have a weak gospel. If we're willing to sit on our backsides and sit in church and you know, get through life, trying to live as comfortably as we can. Like that should scare us, that should worry us. Because we, we so, we're called to preach Christ crucified, Christ risen. We're called to preach Christ healer and savior. Matt and a few of you others know I've been trying to write a book for like 12 years, it's embarrassing how long it's taking me. I'll try, and, I'll try and finish it soon. Um, and, and it's about how the church should respond to persecution. Maybe I can even write it when the persecution's real enough that it means something, I don't know. Um, but but I, the, I, this, I had this thing in me that, you know, if, if the church is to be persecuted, like if I'm going to be persecuted, I might be persecuted because I disagree with the culture around me. There might be truths I stand on. And the culture hates me for that. And that's fine. Okay, and I'll stand on that truth and be hated. But I, I really want to be hated because I have a gospel of power that makes people of power envious. That's what I want. I want a gospel that rocks the systems of the world. Doesn't just intimidate them a little bit with truth, but breaks down their walls with the power of the gospel. That is a threat to them. 
And I think I've got time for just a little segue here. Um, and I, I, can't, I can't do this satisfactorily, so forgive me if this leaves you with more questions than answers. But, but since we started doing this, um, this series on Acts, I've had a few people come up to me and you know, ask me the, the sort of questions you often get when you talk about miracles, signs, and wonders. Um, you know, what happens when we pray and nothing happens? And you know, Taylor was really hard this past week because we had a student who passed away. And we know there's thousands of people praying. And he passes away. And um, Tyler Dresbach, our worship pastor, his baby's been in hospital all week in ICU. And he's coming right. But that's there. And we've got people in this church with cancer. And that's there. And then other people are fighting giants that I don't know about. You know, and there's part of me, when I was preparing for the sermon, I was like, Lord, should I just take a break? Should we do something really nice and gentle and, <laughs> you know, nurture souls a bit? And I just thought I'm saying no. Yeah, keep going. Because it might well be that the more the Lord calls us to believe, the more he calls us to actually be expectant that he will move, the more the enemy will try and assault us, and the more we actually have to have courage and faith, and then stepping into that courage and faith, we'll actually see the Lord move. But I, all I can do is be faithful to what I see in Scripture, which is to believe and know that we have a God who heals, and a God is powerful. But there's this really curious thing which you might have noticed in Acts, and I know we haven't read everything, but feel free to do this. Read Acts, and read all the epistles, okay? But there's this really strange thing in Acts for us as modern, comfortable Western Christians, that we have a church where we have Peter who's just been freed from prison. Later on, we'll have Paul freed from prison. We have Stephen stoned. We have James killed. Every apostle eventually dies a horrible death, except for John, I believe. And yet these men and women love God and serve him. And yet we see the lame healed, the blind see. And you know what's curious about Acts? Is there is no significant conversation by any apostle on why God doesn't heal when we expect him to. Do you think if this was something huge that maybe God would have put it in here for us to think about? And I, I'm not saying it's not big. It is big, okay? It's a huge issue. It's a huge question for us. But isn't it interesting that Scripture itself doesn't wrestle? And, and there's something about, there's something about a, an expectation that life can be hard, you know, and the, the world is broken. There's something that I think they see. They live in a world that's so foreign to us because we're used to things being easy and comfortable. And that's just not, that's not the world. But there's also an understanding of God, I think, that is really powerful. That He is Lord, and He is sovereign, and He will have justice, and He has beaten death. So as much as we weep over that telescope who died, we know where He is, don't we? We know where He is. Because Jesus won. And we worship a God who, who suffered more than any person will ever suffer, so that we know where He is. And I know where my nephew is. You died when you were three months old. I know. And this is a tension. You know, Scripture says, mourn with those who mourn. And so we do. And there are times where we will weep. And there's times where we will mourn. But we worship a God who's one. We worship a God who will bring justice. And we worship a God who says, I'm the one in control. I will heal. 
But what he asks us is, will we be faithful to be his intermediaries? Will we partner with him? Will we be someone who speaks healing, who speaks life? Because this is a gospel that can break anxiety and can break depression and can heal injuries and can heal pain and restore hearts and restore marriages. And God had this really, really strange, really strange idea that we should be a part of it. Seems like a really bad plan because we suck a lot of the time. Okay. But it was his plan. And I think he knows that in us, we can do it, you know. We can do it. And I, I, I can't... I can never guarantee that God will, will, will move. Like that, he is God. I can, I can say we mourn with those who mourn, that we stand alongside those who suffer. Absolutely. But, but we never stay in that place of mourning. We come back into the knowledge of our Lord who has won. I've, I've recommended this once before, but if, you, um, if this is something that you're struggling with, um, uh, Bill Johnson from Reading, sorry, Bethel Church in Reading, the sermon that he gave a few days after his wife died of cancer, a man who has seen thousands of people heal of cancer, I think it's the best sermon I've ever heard on suffering and God's sovereignty. Um, if this is something that you wrestle with, I'd encourage you to listen to it. Um, I'm afraid I don't know what day that month that was, but... Um, maybe Kath can shoot out an email um, to the church. It's, it's profound. Um, and I, I believe it will bless you. So next time I speak, I'm going to look at some more cases. We're going to look at Ephesus, which I think is my favorite of disruption. But we read Acts 12, we read Acts 14, we have a God again who is intentionally and explicitly present, tangible, making chains fall off, causing a layman to be restored. I wish we knew more of those signs and wonders. You know, it's so irritating we just get these signs and wonders, miracles. Like, tell us. It would be great to have details. But let us, let's be a church, let's be a people that, that is hungry for his presence. That is, that desires to see evil disrupted. So will you pray with me? Matt might have something else we'll see, but um, will you pray with me just to close us out? I keep um, you know, coming back to this word surrender over and over again over the last few years. And if there's one thing that we know about Paul, you know, he says that everything that he had, everything is a loss for the knowledge of Christ. To know Christ, everything else is but done to him. Some of us might um, 
This is the prayer preamble, forgive me. Just start connecting with the Holy Spirit. There might be some of us who even though we believe in God are a little bit like those Gentiles who Paul says, get rid of the useless things. Get rid of these things that aren't bringing you life. That you know are actually robbing you of connection with the Lord. Get rid of the useless things. Maybe some of us have grown up in churches or we've heard sermons where people have said the Holy Spirit doesn't still do miracles. The Holy Spirit's real, but we never actually tangibly experience Him. That is not a biblical truth. Uh, Some of us might need to let go of some theology, surrender some ideas that are not of the Bible. Some of us might have been hurt in the past. And we've, we've, got to, we've got to take that pain and whatever it looks like to start the process of giving it to Jesus and saying, Lord, I don't want to be, I don't want to be robbed of more of you by what's happened in the past and I give you this pain. I don't need to understand it, but will you take it? Will you heal my heart? So Holy Spirit, will you come now? Spirit of Jesus, will you come now? And speak to your children. Lord, if there's anything false in us, show us. You are so gentle. Isaiah said that Jesus wouldn't break a bruised reed. He wouldn't snuff out a smoldering candle. You can trust him the deepest things, because he already knows them. Holy Spirit, will you show us if there's anything we need to surrender? And I ask, Lord, that you would, that you would um, just kindle a spark in us. And if that spark's already there, will you, will you blow on it? We blow on the flame, that that flame of expectation, that we worship a living God, that we worship a God of power and might, a God who moves when his gospel is preached, a God who moves to bring the lost to him. And God is opposed to the proud, opposed to the systems of the world that would keep people in bondage. Jesus, would you give us an expectation to be partners with you in your kingdom come? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, light that fire in us. Lord, I ask that you would meet, meet every one of your sons and daughters here this week. Would you, would you speak to us? Would you give us opportunities to speak your life into the lives of those around us? Thank 
Jesus, we want to be a place where you are welcome, where you are welcome to be whatever it is that you want to be, whatever it is you want to do, Lord, that this is your body, this is your family, this is your church. We ask that you bring heaven to earth in this building and as each one of these temples (laughs) leaves this building. Go with us, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.